Please take your copies of God's Word and your flashlights, just in case, and turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. As we finish up chapter 1 this evening, Lord willing. Looking at verses 28 and 29. Please bow with me in prayer as we ask for God's blessing. Speak, O Lord, for your servants listen. May the power of the Lord Jesus Christ raised from the dead be at work now in the proclamation of Christ so that the people of Christ would be grown in Christ unto maturity in him and that the enemies of Christ would be called to repentance and faith in him and that effectually by the power of your spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Please rise for the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Colossians chapter 1, let's begin at verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Amen, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. We've seen in this paragraph, verses 24 through 29, something of Paul's, something of insight into Paul's experience as a minister of the risen Christ, an ambassador of Christ crucified and raised from the dead. Paul begins the paragraph in a similar way as he ends it, speaking of his own personal suffering and angst in the ministry, proclaiming the risen Christ as the one who has accomplished redemption for all nations and who is therefore the judge of all men, and his judgment will be manifest on the last day when he returns in glory. We saw last time, as we moved from how Paul's experience of suffering is not unique to him as an apostle, but his experience of filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions is true of all believers, that we, together with Jesus Christ, suffer with him, that we may be glorified with him, following in his train as he has entered into glory after his sufferings as our representative, we represented in him, suffer with him, and he uses even our most minute and mundane sufferings to make us like himself, preparing us for glory. But then we saw from there that Paul's suffering also has particular reference to his ministry of the word, his proclamation of Christ. 
we saw in verses 26 and 27 last time especially, the revelation of the mystery. We'll take a minute to review that for, for clarity for this evening. When Paul talked about the revelation of the mystery in verses 26 and 27, he is not talking about an impersonal set of beliefs, set of data that you are to hold to for the chosen few, for the special few who are given the revelation of that body of data. Rather, Paul takes the pagan concept, that pagan concept of mystery, and gives it a much more glorious Christian meaning. The mystery is not a, an impersonal revelation of propositions. It is the personal manifestation of Jesus Christ in history. As we saw there in chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, that God's mystery is Christ. The revelation of the mystery, then, is the coming of Christ. It is the coming of Christ to accomplish redemption and to bring in his kingdom of grace, a kingdom in which, a sphere in which God is acknowledged as supreme, glorified and enjoyed by his people, and trusted in and seen as the all-sufficient Savior of his people. We left off in verse 27 what we read this evening, where Paul talks about making known the riches of the glory of that mystery. The mystery that is Jesus Christ, his coming in his humiliation and his exaltation at his resurrection. That is a treasure chest full of all innumerable and unsearchable riches for the people of God, all that they need for this life and the next. So what does Paul do with those riches, the riches of Jesus Christ? Since in verse 25, Paul has become a minister, a servant, according to the stewardship from God given to him by God. He is a household manager now, and we could say that of all ministers of word, sacrament, and prayer, they have been given a charge to do something as stewards. So with that in mind, the stewardship that the servant is to do at the behest of the master in relation to the riches that have now come and have now dawned in the coming of Jesus Christ, what does that minister do? What does a true minister of word, sacrament, and prayer do as a faithful steward? That leads us to verse 28 as we consider proclaiming Christ. This could be our first point in verse 28, proclaiming Christ. What does a minister do now that the mystery has been revealed? What does a minister do now that Christ has come and all the types and shadows have been fulfilled, have been overabundantly fulfilled in him? Verse 28, him we proclaim. The riches of the glory of that mystery, the riches of the glory of Christ having accomplished salvation and having, bringing, having brought his kingdom, those riches must be proclaimed. The minister, as a steward of God, as a steward of things, a recipient of these things, does not handle these things in creative ways, adding to these things to get more people to come and hear his proclamation. He simply proclaims Christ. 
That is what the minister does, whether the extraordinary work of the apostles or the ordinary work of pastors. Him we proclaim. Not we we proclaim, our own opinions and thoughts about what's going on in our culture, not what we think you should do in raising your children, in going about an effective marriage, in being a faithful citizen, not what we think you should do, not in you giving to a certain cause in the church, not in any other opinion formed from man. As a faithful steward, the minister proclaims not himself, but another, the risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ. We proclaim him, not ourselves, not anything else, not as social welfare workers, not as those who have a bunch of programs in the church to keep people busy doing spiritual things. We proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ because the the riches of the glory of his coming are innumerable, are unsearchable, can only be plumbed in eternity. We will never get to the bottom of proclaiming them in this life should we have 10 services a Sunday. So we must proclaim them. We must proclaim these riches, unpack these riches to the people of God whose riches they are. We must go down further into Christ. We must get more of Christ. We must unpack all that is in Christ for life and godliness, for this life and the life to come. It is Christ that must be proclaimed. It is Christ that the people of Christ need most of all. Not come to Christ and then leave him off after a time. You outgrow Christ and then go to secular psychology, secular philosophy, secular practices of whatever sort gleaning even common grace wisdom as to how to live an effective and well-lived life. Him we proclaim. We continually proclaim Christ to the people of Christ. What you need most is Christ. And so what you most need proclaimed to you is Christ. This happens in a twofold manner. Paul then unpacks what does it look like specifically to proclaim Christ. In general, to proclaim him has to do with announcing, has to do with announcing as widely as possible to as many people as possible, being heralds of a a regal authority, of a king, of a noble figure. We are simply his servants. We point not to ourselves as his servants. Exactly as his servants, we point outside of ourselves to another. You need not my opinions, you need the risen and reigning Jesus Christ in all of his redeeming fullness for all of life. So what are the two ways, as Paul moves on in verse 28, that Paul talks about what it means to proclaim Christ? He moves on there in verse 28, warning everyone and teaching everyone. I think we could look at these two aspects of proclaiming Christ as a negative aspect and a positive one. Warning being the negative aspect and teaching being the more positive one. So to proclaim Christ, merely to talk about who Christ is and to have Christology lectures, which is, which is great, is not sufficient. There must be a negative aspect. There must be warning. 
And notice how Paul moves in verse, verses 28, excuse me, just in verse 28, three times he says everyone, or, or more, more literally, every man, singular, warning every man, teaching every man that, we'll get to a moment, we may present every man mature in Christ. This is a change from what he's done up to this point. We saw last week in verse 27 when Paul talks about how the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you is plural, the church, the risen Christ by the power of his spirit indwells the church corporately. But now Paul moves from the corporate, from the church, to the individual. We could say here to the individual believer in particular. So moving from the church in general, in whom Christ, the risen Christ, dwells, the minister of Christ proclaims Christ to each and every person. This is not a generic proclamation that is content with speaking in abstractions and generalities for, for a mass of people. This is speaking specifically to individuals. It is addressing the church corporately and to each and every member of the church. We warn everyone, every person, and teach every person. That is, the, that is why wisdom is needed, we'll see in a moment. That is why wisdom is needed in the proclamation of Christ. There are various needs among all the various members of God's people. But do you see how it's not about the minister having to think of how to help each individual member of the congregation? What does he do for each individual member? He proclaims Christ. In all of his riches... All the people of Christ are, are met and dealt with, are handled in Christ. There is enough in Christ to handle all of the problems of the church from beginning to end and throughout all of history. Each individual person is helped in the proclamation, warning, and teaching ministry of Jesus Christ. All that you need, Christian, all that you need, church, is in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is another way Paul is helping the Colossian Christians to appreciate that the so-called Colossian heresy is complete garbage and poison. You do not add to Christ. You do not supplement him with your works or with pagan philosophy or the old covenant ceremonial laws that have no effect anymore now that Christ has come and fulfilled them. Christ has come, and Paul wants us, and true ambassadors of Christ want the people of Christ to appreciate. Do you see what you have in the Lord Jesus? Do you see that you need to stop trying to add to him, however subtly, ever so subtly, that can be a temptation for all of God's people. We are rather to live out of him, to go to him, to establish vital contact with him so that the branch ab abiding in the vine can produce fruit, can produce life-giving fruit out of the life-giving Savior, Jesus Christ. So to focus negatively on that one aspect of proclaiming Christ, we are to warn every man. Now, this could be every person in general calling unbelievers to repent of sin and trusting in Christ, but we are warning every person 
in context, in the church. So I think in this connection, Paul here in Colossians 1 is very similar to the flow of the book of Hebrews. You read through that sermon sometime in the book of Hebrews, and how over and over again, the author of Hebrews is showing to to the church who is tempted in that specific situation the author is dealing with, who is tempted to to get rid of the suffering they're undergoing, to get out of the suffering they're undergoing, having named the name of Christ, and going back to Judaism, going back to the types and shadows of the old covenant. And the author of Hebrews is saying, church, do you not see the overabundance that has dawned in the coming of Jesus Christ? All the types and shadows, all the ceremonial law that, were, that was in effect for a time, those were nothing but copies of the heavenly things. They were just copies. But Jesus Christ is the heavenly one himself. And he takes the sacrifice not of, blood and, not of the blood of bulls and goats into the earthly tabernacle. He takes the once and for all perfect sacrifice of himself into the tabernacle of heaven. Why do you want to go back to what was ineffective? Throughout that polemic, throughout that sermon in Hebrews, over and over again comes the warning, what I think is, is very much related to what Paul is saying here, the warning of, if they, if the old covenant people of God spurned the grace of God at that time, if the wilderness generation spurned God's grace, lived in grumbling and complaining, wanting to go back to Egypt, at least they had meat there, this manna is terrible, living in grumbling at God's gracious provision, wishing to die in the wilderness when the earth swallowed many of them alive. If they were met with judgment for their unbelief, how much more will those who have tasted and seen greater grace receive greater judgment for rejecting that grace? That is the warning. That is the ultimate warning that the people of God need to hear. Judgment, Peter says, begins at the household of God. Hebrews also makes clear the Lord will judge his people because not all Israel is Israel. Not all who claim to know Christ truly know Christ. And so the warning there is is a historical warning. The wilderness generation tasted and, and saw lesser grace in a real sense. They tasted and seen the, the, the types and shadows of grace. If they were judged for rejecting that lesser grace, there is no hope at all for us today upon whom the ends of the ages have come, who have rejected Christ having accomplished re- redemption, having poured out his spirit upon his church, his kingdom, there is no hope for those who reject greater grace. In fact, there is greater wrath for rejecting greater grace. That is something of the warning that all ministers worth their salt are to give. As we proclaim Christ, now living in, on this side of the coming of Christ, on this side of the but now, as Paul said in verses 26 and 27, we are to warn all men, as I do now ministering in the name of Christ, believer, one who claims to be a believer, do you see the fullness of salvation, 
the fullness of heavenly blessing incarnate in the coming, the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. To reject Him, there is no hope for it. If you trample underfoot the blood of Christ, there is no hope of restoration. Moving to to Colossians, away from Hebrews to Colossians, Paul is wanting us to see something very similar to Hebrews, how much we have in Christ. What we could say in a very qualified sense, Abraham would have killed to have what you and I have. Not literally, you understand. He He was so desirous, as Jesus says, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced to see its coming. He greeted it from afar, but he did rejoice to see it. How privileged you and I are, believer. How privileged we are, church of the Lord Jesus Christ, to live in the new covenant when all the prophecies and promises have been fulfilled, when all the types and shadows are now done away with because the real thing, the substance, Jesus Christ has come. We come not into an earthly tabernacle occasionally through a sinner. We come into the heavenly tabernacle perpetually through the sinless priest, Jesus Christ just to mention one aspect of the fullness of his work. So, to reject this work, to reject this all-sufficient Savior, there is no hope for it. To reject greater grace brings about greater wrath. That is the negative aspect of the proclamation of Christ. The positive one, warning everyone and teaching everyone. We teach every person. The proclamation of Christ in general, to the church, also includes, necessarily includes, the person-to-person teaching of Christ, unpacking more of the riches of the glory of who He is, verse 27, going through more and more who Christ is for us. This would take all night to do in, in this setting. But think more, think a little bit of something, something of the riches of who Jesus Christ is. Listen to our Confession of Faith, chapter 8, as it just names some of the titles and the work of the Lord Jesus in that chapter on Him, chapter 8, paragraph 1. It pleased God and His eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, His only begotten Son, to be the mediator between God and man the prophet, the priest, and king, the head and savior of his church, the heir of all things, and judge of the world, unto whom he did from all eternity give a people to be his seed and to be by him in time redeemed, called, justified, sanctified, and glorified. Just to mention a few benefits, a few of the riches of his glory. As the psalmist says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So we want to, whether as ministers or as believers, we want to open up that treasure chest and look at all the valuables, all the diamonds, all the rubies, all the good things there, and not focus on one thing. Some preachers are all about justification, the forgiveness of sins, and being made right in God's court of law. Some preachers are all about adoption, filial, that is sonly, childlike, nearness to God and and having his love as as a father. Some preachers are all about sanctification, growing in grace, be sure you're minding your business and putting sin to death and quickening grace. But the best preacher 
preaches Christ. Not, not primarily his benefits, but Christ with all of his benefits. We want the whole Christ. We want all of him for all of life. Just to mention one other example of, of the riches of Jesus Christ. You go to a dear believer on, on the deathbed. Death is certain, and it is just a matter of time before this believer enters into the presence of Christ in heaven. Should you say, remember your justification, brother or sister? That can be appropriate. But should we not also give the hope of the resurrection? Should we not also give the hope that death does not have the final word, but Jesus Christ, by his death and resurrection, has defeated death, and even now as you lay dying, resurrection power is at work preparing you to enter into Christ's presence in heaven, and you are still united in, the Christ, in Christ bodily as you wait in the grave, waiting for the resurrection. That's one of the riches of Christ. What about something like loneliness? Was there in, anyone more lonely than the Lord Jesus Christ? Never, never, ever. Show me anyone who is as lonely as the Lord Jesus, who being the sinless Son of God, came to save his people, and in his hour of need, his people abandoned him. Jews abandoned him, Gentiles abandoned him, put to a a kangaroo court, and even those who said, Lord, I would die for you, I'll never leave you, abandoned him and denied him three times. Was there anyone more lonely than the Lord Jesus? Hebrews 4 says, you go to him, you will find grace and mercy to help in your time of need, because he has suffered in every way we have and without sin. That's just a little taste. Let us unpack then in this teaching ministry, this teaching proclamation ministry of Jesus Christ. Let us be focused on getting all of Christ, the whole Christ, prophet, priest, and king, and his humiliation and exaltation as a full and all-sufficient Savior. Going back up to verse 19, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, so let's do our best in this life to drink of his fullness. That is the ministry that the minister is to carry out, proclaiming Christ, warning negatively, teaching positively. But then in verse 28, perhaps a statement of, in what way do we do this? How do we carry out this proclamation, warning, and teaching ministry, verse 28, with all wisdom? Now, that could be a reference to how the minister, anyone who handles the word of Christ and in any sense proclaims Christ, must do it wisely. Don't talk to someone who needs to be assured of justification about adoption, for example. Be wise in how you talk about Christ to people. Be wise about which particular of the riches of Christ is most appropriate for them. That could be. When we talk about wisdom, when we talk about Christ and wisdom, we are talking about something about Christ himself. So we'll see this in the weeks to come. Look down with me at chapter 2. Verse 1, reading from verse 1, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom 
and knowledge. So for Paul to say that the minister, in verse, chapter 1, verse 28, is to proclaim, warn, and teach with all wisdom, Paul is making clear here as wisdom is found in Christ. We're going back to 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. Christ himself is wisdom. Christ, the wisdom and power of God, which we proclaim as foolishness to men. 1 Corinthians 1.30, we are in Jesus Christ who has become for us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Christ himself is wisdom. All wisdom is found in Christ. So as Paul is, is admonishing the, the minister, telling the Colossians that the true minister is to proclaim Christ with all wisdom, he is w- telling the ministers, don't try to do it in your own strength. Don't try and get creative. Don't try and add things to Christ and be a really interesting minister, to be a really good public speaker. The point is that it's all about Christ through and through. You proclaim Christ out of the riches of wisdom that are in Christ. And if this wisdom does have to do with how to wisely apply and and proclaim Christ to the people of Christ, who's going to give you that wisdom, minister? Christ is. The great shepherd of the sheep will help the under-shepherd to shepherd the flock all the way home to glory. But there's a purpose Paul brings in why we're doing all this. What is the purpose of proclaiming Christ? What is the purpose of warning every person about Christ, of teaching every person about Christ? Because the minister can't get a better job to do? Because anyone can work in the church, regardless of who he is or what he does? There is a purpose. There is an in-time and eternal purpose for this toiling and laborious work in verse 28. That, in order that, we may present everyone, all that we've proclaimed to and warned and taught, mature in Christ. Do you see how this is all about Christ through and through? All proclamation must be proclaiming Christ. All warning must be with reference to Christ. All teaching must be unpacking the riches of Christ so that those to whom we proclaim Christ may grow in him, may mature in him, may be perfected in him. That is the end-time reference there in verse 28, where all the, the temporal struggle and labor of ministry, of word, sacrament, and prayer that the minister undertakes is for the eternal value, the end-time value of all the all to whom he proclaimed Christ would grow in him and be fully matured in him at Christ's return. We do this not because we're religious, not because we're spiritual and have nothing better to do, because we are looking forward to the end. We are in our pilgrimage, and we want to reach the end of our pilgrimage, and we need Christ to get us there. We want to get to Canaan. We want to get out of this earthly pilgrimage and two, the new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. Proclaiming Christ now will give us endurance in Christ now to get us to Christ then, fully matured in Him. This language of maturity or perfection in Christ in verse 28 is similar to what, what Paul says in Ephesians 4, that we are to grow up to adulthood in the Lord Jesus. 
That's the idea of maturity, to move on from childishness, to move on from lower stages of growth to the highest stage of growth that will not be reached in this life. We're not talking about anything like moral perfectionism in this life where we'll never struggle with sin. We're talking about getting to that realm where sin's presence is eradicated fully. We're talking about getting to that realm in which the evil one is cast out, cast out from that place into the lake of fire which burns for all eternity. We're talking about getting out of our pilgrimage and into our home where we, with all of God's people, with Abraham and Moses and David, all the believers that will come after us, we all together will make up that innumerable host of worshipers, men, women, and children from every tribe, tongue, and nation to glorify the Lord Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. That is when we'll make, attain to a full maturity and we get there by hearing about Christ here and now as often as we possibly can. That is why we proclaim Christ that we may all attain maturity in him. Secondly, and more briefly, in verse 29, Paul talks about the struggle of this ministry of proclamation. The struggle of the ministry of proclamation. Verse 29. For this I toil, for, the, for presenting all of God's people, all to whom I proclaim Christ, as much as it is within me to do. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul is using very graphic, very serious language about the ministry of proclaiming Christ, not to mention prayer, not to mention visitation, not to mention the other aspects of the ministry of word, sacrament, and prayer that are, that, that are inherent to it. For this, proclaiming Christ so that the people of Christ will mature in him, attaining to full maturity at the end, I toil for this. Not I get up in the pulpit and wing it. I toil for this. This is the athlete cutting what is unhelpful to him from his diet, getting more hours of sleep than anyone else to do well in his sport. This is the soldier taking up his arms and going to battle so as not to die. I toil for this. It is a laborious and difficult task. As someone has said, I think it was Spurgeon who said, if you feel called to the ministry, if you can do anything else, do it. I toil for this. But he goes on to say, how do I toil? I toil struggling, as if we didn't know that already. I toil struggling. The word he uses there for struggling is the word we, where we get agony. I, I toil agonizing over this. Paul says, I think it's in 2 Corinthians, in addition to his, his hardships of being beaten, of being stoned, of having shipwreck and sleepless nights, etc., not to mention the, the anxiety I have for all the churches. There is anxiety in the true minister that people are not responding to Christ, that people are not seeing the riches that are, that are theirs in Christ. Why are they not listening to the proclamation of Christ? Why are they living as, as worldly-minded and not as heavenly-minded? That is perhaps one aspect there of the agony of ministry. There is a toil to present Christ 
in all of his fullness to the people of Christ so that they will grow, so that they will see what they have in Christ, so that they will not want to add to him, but live out of him. We toil for this, doing earthly suffering for eternal heavenly glory. We keep that in in view. But notice Paul is not saying, I toil for this, I struggle doing as much as I can, all by myself. No one's going to help me. Not even Epaphras is, is going to help me. What does he do? For this I toil, struggling with all his energy. Christ's energy, Christ's power, is resident in the preacher. Christ's power is what fills and animates the preacher to preach Christ. Are you seeing more that it is all about Christ from first to last? Not the minister having great rhetorical skills and knowing when to put in a joke and a good story to bring in people to listen and to be awed at his rhetorical ability. It is the power of Christ at work in the minister who in himself is weak and nothing. What makes the ministry of the word work, what makes the proclamation of Christ effective is that it is the power of Christ accompanying it. When Paul says he struggles with all Christ's energy, he's talking about a mysterious union. Coming full circle back to 24, verse 24, about how he is filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. There is a mysterious union, particularly in the minister of his, abil- of his work, of his preparation, of his education, of his gifts, all that were provided by Christ. But in himself, he is weak. He is nothing. He is, he is unable to wake the dead in his preaching and proclamation of Christ, although it is Christ he proclaims. But as he works, weak in himself, unable in himself to do anything in his proclamation, the energy of Jesus Christ is manifest. In the, in the minister who in himself is earthly, the heavenly power of Christ is made manifest. In the weakness of the minister, the resurrection power of Christ is manifest. So that who gets all the glory? Great sermon pastor, or oh, what a great speaker he is. It is all obvious from first to last that the proclamation of Christ for the people of Christ, for maturity in Christ, comes from Christ. It is all Christ from first to last. And should you ever move or need to visit another church for any reason, you look for a minister who preaches struggling with all of the heavenly, otherworldly power of the risen Christ in him as a weak vessel. More literally, more woodenly, Paul says something like, For this I toil agonizing with, in union with, his energy, the energizing in me, in power. Something like that. I I don't know how to explain that. That's just heavenly blessedness in, in the minister who is weak in himself. That's just heavenly glory being manifest in our earthly pilgrimage. That's just what is not native to us being manifested in us. 
This is the reason in Philippians 4.13, Paul can say, I can do all things through him who strengthens, who energizes me. I can be content with low, with little, and with much. I can do all things through the heavenly, otherworldly power of Christ manifest in my weakness. When Paul was pleading with the Lord to have that thorn from the flesh removed from him, three times he pleaded with the Lord that this should happen. And the answer came from the risen Christ, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, 2 Corinthians 12.10, I will boast of my weaknesses. I will boast of insults and hardships, for when I am weak, then I am strong. When we come to the end of ourselves, when it is obvious that it was not the minister doing something special and proclaiming Christ, when it was obvious that I had no interest in Christ when he redeemed me from my sin, when I fell, when I fell <clears throat> into apathy about the things of God and he revived my heart again, when we come to the end of ourselves and are shown to be what we are in ourselves as weak and frail and impotent, that is when otherworldly power, resurrection power is made perfect in weakness, is displayed in weakness, and the Lord Jesus gets all the glory and is all in all. A couple application points as we close. This heavy focus on the minister and the ministry of word and sacrament and prayer. What did those ministered to do? Receive it. Receive the proclamation of Christ. Hear it, but also listen to it. Look at the shorter catechism sometime about what is required of those who hear the word preached. We are to hear it with faith and love, lay it up on our hearts, and practice it in our lives. Hear Christ proclaimed. Don't think, I know, I know Jesus. I, I, don't, I don't need this extra stuff. I don't need to hear about Jesus more often. You have no idea the depth of the riches of the glory of Jesus Christ that you need. Don't think, well, I don't need it, but my children need it. Or I don't need it, but my spouse needs it. We all need the proclamation of Christ week to week, day to day, day, to day minute to minute. Hear him proclaimed, be warned, receive that warning, wake up from your sin and see more of the riches of Christ and take hold of him afresh. Be taught in him, grow in his grace, and press on to maturity. Again, it's all about Christ being proclaimed, so receive that proclamation, church. Receive that proclamation, dear believer, so that you will press on. You will be enabled to press on to reach our heavenly homeland, to reach full maturity in the Lord Jesus. And it is the Lord Jesus who will get us there to full maturity in him. Just a little while longer, let us in this place receive with our hearts the proclamation of Jesus Christ, that he may be glorified as we attain unto full maturity in him and worship him, the lamb who was slain for our salvation. May God add his blessing to the reading and proclamation of his word in this place.